0: Hi guys, and welcome back to another true crime and makeup time video. If you're new here, my name is Zara and I post a new true crime video every single week. So if you love makeup and you love true crime and you love these videos, definitely consider subscribing and hit that like button. It would mean so much to me. And if you have any cool case suggestions, definitely leave them in the comments below. Today, I'm doing another requested case. And today's case was requested by my girl Constanza. So thank you so much for this case and it's about these two men, crazy two men. Let me let me just give you like a little snippet. So two men drawn together by childhood trauma, they become lovers and then killers. Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole killed hundreds of people together. Or so they claimed. In the 1970s, this serial killer couple embarked on like a whirlwind of killing sprees across the United States and they tortured, killed, and even cannibalized their victims. And if we believe them, they possibly killed more than 600 people. So after these guys were arrested, there's a lot of like controversy as to, you know, what crimes they actually did commit. And they ended up being known as the confession killers because they just kept confessing to crimes. So whether they actually killed hundreds and hundreds of people or if they just killed one person, their crimes are kind of insane and their childhoods definitely match. So let's talk about these guys, these great guys. So Henry Lee Lucas was born in Blacksburg, Virginia in 1936. His father, Anderson No Legs Lucas, actually lost his legs in a workplace accident. And this happened, like, on a railway track or railroad, which is insane, if you can imagine, going through that. So he obviously couldn't work, and he was forced, essentially, to make alcohol illegally and then sell that, and that was his source of income. He was also an alcoholic, and he did introduce his son, Henry, to alcohol at a fairly early age. Henry's mother, Viola Dixon Lucas, was also an alcoholic but she was also a prostitute and she's the one that actually like ruled the household and they just lived in a one-bedroom cabin henry was the youngest of nine children and he was the one that would always sort of succumb or fall victim to viola's rage and outbursts but along with him one of his brothers and also his father would like be viola's victims When Henry was just eight years old, he was beaten by his mom, Viola, so badly, she hit him on the head with like this wooden spoon that he spent three days in a coma. And I don't know why these moms do this, like why abusive moms do this kind of stuff. But she also would make Henry and his brother watch um, her have sex or perform sex acts with her lover. And his name was Uncle Bernie. But it wasn't just limited to Uncle Bernie, like she was a prostitute, right? So she would make her bro- um, Henry and his brother watch her have sex with multiple strange men. And if they like looked away or didn't want to watch, she would beat them. And I guess another form of humiliation would be that um, if they refused to sort of watch or, you know, engage in this, she would also dress her boys up in like girls clothing. And I guess that's just some form of like humiliation for God knows what reason. Now she would do this to the point where, you know, Henry would just get bullied so badly at school that a teacher would actually decide to cut Henry's hair and then dress him up in like, you know, like normal boy's clothing so that he just wouldn't be so humiliated by his classmates. And actually when um, this teacher did this, Viola, you know, she, Henry comes home with short hair and like, he's not wearing a dress and he's wearing like normal boys clothes. Viola was so upset. She was so pissed off that she actually goes to the school and she like yells at the teacher and tells her like, why are you interfering with my own family business? That same teacher would later recall that Henry was a seriously disturbed child who was filthy, malnourished all the time and just had distinct learning difficulties. Viola also shot and killed a mule or a donkey that was given to Henry by his uncle. And she also abused Henry because one day he got offered this teddy bear at school and he accepted this teddy bear. And she was like, so she abused him for that. Like stupid things. Now, when Henry was 10 years old, he got into a fight with his brother. And during this fight, like he injured his left eye and it was by accident. It wasn't It wasn't intentional, but there was a clear like, injury or infection to the iron this injury was ignored by viola for so long that the infection turned so bad that henry actually ended up losing his left eye and it had to be replaced with a glass eye when he was 11. now as if this wasn't a terrible childhood you know already by the time he was 11 henry was already an alcoholic and his older brother and that uncle bernie guy had introduced him to the act of bestiality which is if you don't know so gross sex with animals and in the process they would also torture animals i mean that's already torture but they would also torture animals now viola clearly wasn't like a good mom she never like cleaned the house or attended to like domestic duties she never prepared like meals for anyone except for herself and this uncle bernie guy The boys and their father were constantly abused, both physically and verbally, and in order to feed themselves, they were just kind of like left to like scrounge for whatever food they could find in the home. So obviously due to this, it wasn't long before the boys eventually started stealing, you know, food from neighbors and, you know, stores around the town. Viola, instead of treating, you know, the children that she had as children in her family, she treated them more like hired help. Like, she would send them to go get firewood and groceries and things like that. Like, they were just, like, her errands people. Now, eventually, the beatings that Henry had received from his mother began to take its toll. Henry developed seizures and he began to complain that he was hearing voices in his head. In 1949, Henry's father, Anderson, he actually passed away um, from hypothermia because... He was an alcoholic and he got so drunk that he fell asleep or passed out in a blizzard and then he died. And after this is when Henry just kind of became Henry Lee Lucas. So at the age of 14 or 15 was his first, by his accounts, um, sexual experience with like a human, (laughs) like not an animal, um, a girl. And this wasn't by the girl's choice. He actually abducted a teenage girl from a bus stop and he ended up beating her her and then strangling her to death now it could never be confirmed who exactly this girl was but they believe it to be the 17 year old girl that went missing her name was Laura Burnley and she went missing like on the 17th of March in 1951 so not long after his father's death is when you know this took place the next year Henry went to prison for the first time When him and his two brothers, they robbed um, a store and they were arrested for burglary. They spent a year at a school for juvenile delinquents in Beaumont, which to be honest, like it had running water it had electricity. Like it was like a hotel compared to like the cabin that he stayed in, a one bedroom log cabin with nine siblings and his mother and uncle Bernie and strange men. Like it was like a hotel. Then he gets out and he commits burglary once more. And in June 1954, he is sentenced to six years um, in prison for burglary. But this time it was like for a dozen counts of burglary, so a lot more. And he was released five years later after two failed attempts at escape. Like the fact that he was sentenced to six years, but he was released after five years, even though he tried to escape, like, you know what I mean? Like it's just sometimes the system doesn't make sense. So then after his release, he moves to his sister's place in Michigan, but soon after that, Viola catches up with him. So now she sort of, you know, harassed him. I mean, she did harass him his whole life. Now, the reason why she chased him up is because instead of him going and living with his sister, she wanted him to come and actually come back and live with her. Her so he could take care of Viola because at this point she was getting older and he she just wanted like a slave. But obviously they refused and they got into like this argument that resulted in Viola being killed. Because somehow they were they were arguing and then he had a knife and then he like stabbed her in the neck. And then that stabbing caused her to have a heart attack, which proved to be fatal. This happened in 1960 when he was just 23 years old. He says that all he remembers was slapping her. And then when she fell to the ground, he picked her up and he realized she was dead. And that's when he looked down and noticed that he had the knife. his hand now though he claimed self-defense for this act he was actually sentenced um, to jail for attempted murder and he got 20 to 40 years in prison this time but just 10 years later he was released because the prison was overcrowded so in 1970 10 years into his sentence he was released and a free man once again but as soon as he was released He was sentenced to a further three years in prison because he had attempted to kidnap, okay, three young girls. Again, the system doesn't make any sense. Like, this guy should not have been let out. I'm sure due to prison overcrowding, there were other people, you know, less serious crimes that they could have let out. So anyway, after being released from prison for this, what's this, like the 20th time, he moves to Pennsylvania and he works on a mushroom farm and that's when he meets a woman and he gets married. Her name was Betty Crawford and she was actually the widow of one of his cousins and they got married in 1975. But that marriage was super short lived because she accused him of molesting one of her daughters. So he left her and he was like, see you later. So at this point he started just drifting around and supporting himself through just odd jobs. And according to him, this is when he began his murdering spree of, like, picking up women, raping them um, along a highway. Like, he would just travel along this highway and commit these crimes. Then in 1976, he reached the town of Jacksonville. And at this point, he had no money and no place to stay. And along the way, he had heard of this mission. And this mission um, just provided food and shelter to... The needy so he was like i'm ahead there so he goes to this mission and he's waiting in line you know for food and a bed you know shelter for that night and as he's waiting he gets approached by a man named otis tool who at the time was a fellow sexual deviant so otis approached him the two of them they you know struck up a conversation and quickly became friends they just really bonded so then after they struck up this friendship in line at the homeless shelter essentially Otis invites Henry back to his home in Springfield and he's like you know what you can just come and live with me now I remember at the time I was questioning like why are you even at a shelter if you have this like home that you can invite people over to. But I think from what I remember, like Otis kind of like scout people and like try to bring them home. Maybe he was a lonely guy. So speaking of Otis, Otis Toole was born in Jacksonville, Florida in 1947. And his mother was an abusive, like religious fanatic. He claimed that he had been sexually abused by his own family after he came out as gay um, at a young age. He also claimed that his grandmother had been a satanist and had taught him about grave robbing at a very early age. He had an estimated IQ of just 75 and he was also diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD. He frequently ran away and he was a serial arsonist and a paramaniac and that was like his his thing. They don't know exactly how he sort of moved around between the years 1966 to 1973 but the police believe that he just got around by panhandling and hitchhiking oh and they also believed that he took part in prostitution like that's how he would sort of make his money too so as he you know hitchhiked around around the way he also became a prime suspect for murder on many occasions but he was never actually arrested for you know these crimes so at the time that otis invited henry to come and live with him in that house he was actually sharing or living in a house with his own mother and her husband Robert and then also in the house was his so Otis's wife Novella a nephew named Frank Powell and his wife Frida Powell and then Otis's 10 year old niece also was living in the house at the time so a lot of people in this one house and then otis was like henry you want to come and live with us too now like i mentioned before the like otis would always go to the mission and bring home strange men i guess so the family was pretty used to otis doing this and just bringing home men from the mission so when he brought home henry they kind of didn't think anything of it they were just like another guy and sarah pierce was this like one time house guest who had been living um in that same house and she later told the police that Otis would regularly do this because he would bring home these men for his like sexual gratification. So he was gay and he that's how he would sort of live that lifestyle. Now, along with him being gay, he also frequented in other sex acts where he enjoyed watching these men or, you know, other men have sex with his wife, Frida, and also with his 10 year old niece. That lived in the house they would have sex with her this niece's name by the way i don't know if i mentioned it her name is frida so when henry was invited to live there he was like cool he had a place to stay right and he quickly just yeah adapted to the new home and soon he was sharing the bedroom with otis and otis's wife novella was sent to go and stay with one of the neighbors there wasn't enough room okay for you novella you need to go away. (laughs) The way people live, man, like their lives are so interesting. Like comparatively, my life is so vanilla, but I'm going to keep it that way. So it's alleged that Otis and Henry, they became lovers not only through mutual attraction, but also for their mutual desire to kill people. Both Henry and Otis had been raised by you know abusive mothers who forced the both of them to dress like girls both suffered sexual trauma before the age of 10 and by the time they had met each other they were both already murderers they had both each committed murders on their own henry had really hated his mom like for years and you know he hated her because she abused him so much but he also hated the fact that she was a sex worker and that she would force him to watch her have sex with all these men by the time that henry you know had gotten a little bit older he turned his rage against her into he channeled it into you know torturing animals and he actually also sexually abused his own brother which is crazy because you know he was the youngest and you always think that the older kids will do it but in this case henry did it to his older brother so I found that kind of like, kind of crazy. As for Otis, his childhood was just as bad, if not, if not worse. He was assaulted by almost every person that he believed he could trust. His mother dressed him up as a girl. His own sister raped him when he was 10 years old. And when he was just five years old, which is insane, his father um, prostituted him out to a neighbor and when otis was 14 is when he committed his first murder and this happened because when he was 14 a um he was at home and a traveling salesman actually approached him and propositioned him for sex and it made otis so upset that he actually got into the traveling salesman's car and he like ran him over so he ran over the guy with like his own car so you know these guys like drawn together by their childhood trauma and then when they both sort of must have Admitted to each other, like, hey, we like to kill. Do you like to kill? I like to kill. They, you know, quickly fell for each other and then they traveled across the country of the United States on, you know, an alleged killing spree. So throughout the 1970s, Otis and Henry traveled across 26 states just killing whenever they could. They preyed upon anyone they could find, like hitchhikers, sex workers, migrants, just anyone. And for these two guys, these lovers, the act of killing was just a way for them to bond, really. They would often talk about it and share notes and tips and tricks on how to be better. From 1979 to 1981, Otis and Henry, they worked together at a roofing company. Henry later claimed that both of them had committed hundreds of murders at that time. And he claimed that 108 of them were committed with Otis under the guise of like this satanic cult called the Hands of Death. So apparently this cult was a satanic cannibalistic cult and you had to train for it. Like just anybody couldn't come in. You had to like train. So as part of their training and to join the cult, they would each be paid $10,000, which is a lot at the time, to murder someone and that's how they would join the cult. So once their training was complete, Henry and Otis, you know, set off to work. He and Otis set off on a trip to the southern states to go and kidnap children and these children were you know they were kidnapping these children either to use them in sacrificial ceremonies or they would be transported to mexico where they would be sold on the gray market to wealthy families like wealthy families who wanted children so after a trial run and you know familiarizing themselves with the border patrol and things like that in the area, they set up on their job and they had been supplied with drugs to subdue the children to make the kidnapping easier. Like this is so sick. Henry would later say like how easy he found it to kidnap babies. So when they reached Texas, Henry and Otis would go through shopping centers and they would um, drive through the car parks and look for children that were just left sleeping in, like, the cars. So the reason that this was so easy because, you know, they would just do this little drive, and then several minutes later, they would just have a baby, like, in the vehicle, you know, asleep in the car because they drugged them. You know, they were already sleeping, but then they would drug them and then take them with them. It was, like, so easy to do this kidnapping of these babies. Like, can you imagine the parents? Like, And as if that wasn't enough, they would also kidnap older kids and teenagers because the cult would use these kids in pornographic movies that they would later sell to sick fucking people. Like, this makes me so annoyed and so sick. And the fact that, you know, babies left sleeping in cars at the time was just so normal and I totally understand because I swear my parents, like, would leave us in cars when they would go to the bank and things like that, like, especially in foreign countries like it's just not it's not a big deal and luckily nothing ever happened to me but when I think about it like it is so so dangerous like even when I go to fill petrol like sometimes I think like oh my god do I take my son or not but like I've never ever left him I just can't do it like I always just even if he's sleeping like I'll just take him out and I'll be like okay come with me like I just can never leave him so these claims of this cult you know police ended up Um, searching various areas that they stated that these cult um, activities would take place but they never found any evidence of this cult. When Otis was later you know interviewed he would disagree with some of the details but the sort of overall stance that this cult existed he was like yeah it did exist and we did join this cult so that was their both of their stories sort of matched in that in that regard. Henry also claimed that Otis's mo in his killings was to you know kill his victims crucify them and then barbecue them and then eat them though when otis's crimes were later investigated like nothing was proven to be committed in those ways henry claimed that he never took part (laughs) in the cannibalism because he didn't like barbecue sauce he would then claim that he actually taught otis how to like perfect his murders because Otis was committing them in one way and Henry was like no you need to do it in this way because you're leaving too many traces behind so this is how you how you really get away with murder you know but Henry and Otis they weren't just trying to kill people they were literally raping and torturing their victims before killing them and then after they would die the victims would die they would then mutilate their bodies which is just like what's your problem Henry later would say that he didn't feel the slightest amount of guilt from any of his actions or their actions. He even joked that once he was able to cross the state border with a severed head in his backseat and no one even picked up on it, like no one checked. And obviously, as if all of this wasn't bad enough, they would take part in cannibalism. Or at least Henry didn't really enjoy it because he didn't like the flavoring. But years after they were arrested, they were caught discussing cannibalism like over the phone um, when they called each other. And Otis would often talk about it with like a nostalgic sort of tone in his voice. Like, remember, remember when we used to kill these people and like, I used to like to pour some of their blood out of them. And then he even said some really tasted like real meat when you put barbecue sauce on them. I mean, you could put barbecue sauce in a shoe and it would taste pretty good, so. Now, it sounds like these two guys are made for each other, right? But their relationship also fell apart when Otis, oh, sorry, Henry actually fell in love with Otis's, you ready? 10-year-old niece, Frida. Frida, the one that would have sexual encounters with Otis and his wife, like, oh my God. And this obviously happens because Henry was living in Otis's home and him and Frida just, I guess, had a connection. Henry would later say he liked having someone that looked up to him, you know, and then he would later run away with Frida, like he took her. That's not, that's not running away. Isn't that kidnapping? Like, she's 10. Otis was allegedly so upset by Henry sort of like, essential betrayal of trust that he murdered nine people to blow off some steam so henry runs off with frida to texas and over there he gets a job working for like this elderly woman and frida was sometimes called becky i think that was her middle name so him and becky him and frida they went and they were living with this elderly woman and also working for her but they were later kicked out by this elderly woman's neighbors because they found out that Henry and, and well, Henry was cashing checks in this elderly woman's name. So then they got kicked out of that home. And then they found a brief home um, at a place called the House of Prayer. And the reason they were given this place to live is because they pretended to be this married couple, you know, looking for, looking for a place to live and they were given a place to live. And Henry was even hired as a roofer. And they were also given like a little house to live in. But because he's a psycho, Henry and Becky, Frida, they didn't make it very far into their relationship because even though they were, you know, nicely settled down in their little shack, the two of them, they got into this really heated argument and in response, because Henry doesn't know how to handle himself, on August 24th, 1982, Henry lured Becky into an isolated field where he killed her and then he dismembered her body. Now, I keep saying she's 10 years old, but obviously, you know, over the years that him and Otis had been together, Becky had... Frida, Becky had grown up, so she probably wasn't 10 years old when they ran away together. She was probably a little bit older, but nonetheless... He had known her, you know, since she was 10 and who knows what type of sexual activity they were engaging in prior to that, you know, so sick. So then, because that's not enough killing for for a lifetime, Henry then goes back to that elderly woman that he scammed checks from. He lures her out into the same field and then he kills her too, but then he stuffs her body down like this drain pipe. So then he goes back drifting around for another month and then he returns to the house of prayer, the place that... um gave him and Becky like a shack to live in and hired him as a roofer. He goes back to the house of prayer and that's where he lived out his final days as a free man. He had actually learned that he was a suspect in the elderly woman's um, disappearance. So he went back to the body where he stuffed it in the drain bite. He brings it back to the house of prayer. He puts it on the stove in a pot and he tries to like incinerate it. He then takes a polygraph test um, related to the murder but he passes it and then on June 11th 1983 Henry is finally arrested for firearm possession. Meanwhile when Henry ran off with his niece Frida Becky on January 12th 1982 Otis goes and locks a man this man was named um, Greg Sonnenberg. He locks him in his house and he sets the house on fire, obviously killing the man. And then after being arrested in April, 1984, he confesses to the police about many more murders that he had committed. And out of all of the ones he confessed to, he was convicted on like six or three. It, it like varies in like sources. But the murder of Greg Sonnenberg was included in that in that conviction. Another murder he was convicted of was the shooting of a 19-year-old girl named Ada Johnson that took place in Florida. And then another murder he, you know, was convicted of was a massage parlor attack during which two women were stabbed and set on fire, but one of the women actually passed away. But another man had already been convicted of this murder and because of that the police were like, No, you didn't commit it, so Otis is like, Alright, and he just like withdrew his confession for that one. And his reasoning was, okay, if you say I didn't kill her, then maybe I didn't. Like that was that was it. Now among one of his victims was one named Adam Walsh. Now Adam Walsh was only six years old and he disappeared from a mall in Florida in nineteen eighty one and he was found um asphyxiated to death and only his head was discovered. Now according to Otis's niece on his deathbed in 1996, Otis actually confessed to this murder but he was never actually tried for it. Jeffrey Dahmer, who was actually living in Miami Beach at the time and who later you know became known for his crimes against children and decapitating his victims, um, he was also a suspect in that murder of Adam Walsh. So now at this point both Henry and Otis are behind bars. But the mystery and the questions surrounding their murder spree had just begun. Now, even though they were both arrested, funnily enough, Henry was not actually arrested for murder, remember? He was arrested for a firearms charge. But as soon as he was arrested, for some reason, he just began like confessing to the murders he committed. As for Otis, he was far more reluctant to just talk about all the crimes he committed. But once he learned that Henry was taking cops on, like, tour guides of, like, all the murder sites that they had, you know, allegedly been to, Otis soon began backing up Henry's claims. By his count, they had allegedly murdered over 108 people, including six-year-old Adam Walsh. And Adam Walsh was actually the son of the America's Most Wanted TV host, John Walsh. Otis insisted that he was the one who killed Adam and he even argued with police officers when they said like no you didn't you know we think it's Jeffrey Dahmer and he was like no, no no it was me and he was just like furiously like defending the fact that this was his murder like he wanted to claim it. According to Otis he claimed that he snatched Adam from a Sears parking lot in 1981 and then after decapitating Adam's head with a machete he drove around with Adam's head in his car for so long that he even forgot that Adam's head was in there he said that when he later you know came across the head he just like tossed it into a canal he was like oh here it is and just tossed it into a canal Adam was perhaps one of Henry and Otis's most well-known victims due to being the son of a tv host you know John Walsh And his murder also resulted in child, like new child protection laws. Meanwhile, Henry was out here like confessing to over 600 murders, which is insane. But he had his own motivations for doing so, saying that he wanted to bring like the truth to light. Henry later boasted that he made the police look stupid and he wanted to wreck Texas law enforcement. Henry actually what most people think began confessing to these crimes because he would get special treatment from law enforcement. They would often drive him out, you know, from the prison to the scene of the crime and get him like fast food on the way because they wanted these confessions from him. So because of that, there was no need for him to chill out on all these confessions he was making because he was getting treated better this way. And especially once he realized that he's getting all this preferential treatment for confessing, he would just confess to more and more and more crimes Now, at this point, he had already been sentenced to death row. So he was like, what's the difference if I just keep confessing to more and more? Like, it's just going to be better for me. So examples of this was one time when he was out, you know, in Texas, Um, officers let him walk around without handcuffs and even gave him a strawberry milkshake. And as the officers became more and more familiar with Henry, they almost had like this like friendly banter like friendliness between them detectives also loaded henry with cigarettes and hamburgers like during their times in the rooms like trying to get more confessions out of him and in 1985 um henry told like the Dallas Times newspaper that he lied about a lot of these confessions because he wanted to show that law enforcement doesn't actually do its job cuz i mean 600 murders over a period of what 10 to 15 years that's like 40 people a year, like almost one a week. You you would have no time for anything else. Like, when do you do your laundry? When do you, like, go grocery shopping? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a lot. So for a long time, police actually took Henry and Otis for their word. Henry's confessions were so, like, there were so many of them that they actually created their own task force, which was just called the Henry Task Force, and in turn, Henry was like, OK, I'm going to give the police like every grisly detail about these murders. He even drew like pictures of his alleged victims and his like drawings were so precise that they even included like the victim's eye color. As time went on, law enforcement, obviously, maybe they started to do their job. They started to notice discrepancies along Henry's timeline. Plus, when DNA testing you know, emerged, it started to contradict some of his some of his stories. And Henry didn't really have like hard evidence to back up a lot of his stories. It was later revealed that members of the task force would secretly feed him like evidence and they would ask him leading questions in an attempt to get more confessions. Henry proved to be pretty talented at picking up on like things that the the detectives and police officers would say, especially details of crime scenes and murder cases. Like he would just pick it up really easily. But still, some of the Texas Rangers, they like stuck to their story saying, no, like Henry really did commit these murders and he was really confessing. So for example, police, they accepted a confession of Henry's for a murder that took took place in September of like 1981 in Houston, even though records show that Henry was actually in jail in Maryland at the time. So how could he have, how could he have committed this murder? Then for a September 9th 1975 murder that took place in texas they took his confession for that even though records show that he was actually working on that mushroom farm in pennsylvania at the time one of the rangers said that he remembers henry trying to confess to like a couple murders that they know he didn't commit but then he's like you know i'll i'll bet anything that some of them he hundred percent did because the way that like he knew some of the details without ever being provided to him, like he had to have been the one to do it. Henry himself confessed to exaggerating a lot of the murders. He would go on to say, I only did three, but the way I would just tell them more and more and more like they had their like tongues wagging, you know, when I would just c- keep confessing about these murders that I didn't even commit. Henry said he had killed people in every way imaginable poison, um, stabbing, strangulations, uh, shootings, Hitting people with cars, like hit and runs. Now we know that Henry killed his mother by stabbing her in the neck, causing her heart attack, which killed her. Becky slash Frida Powell and the elderly woman, her name was Kate Rich, were also killed with knives, like stabbed, stabbed to death. And later on, he confessed to committing necrophilia on both the bodies, Frida's and this elderly woman's, um, before he disposed of the bodies. Becky was also dismembered and. Decapitated or Frida, Becky, Frida. The elderly woman, however, was stuffed into that drain pipe. Remember, and then he took her out again, and then tried to incinerate her, and burn her on the stove. Henry also stated, as so gross." That even after he stuffed the elderly woman into, I just imagined it. Even after he stuffed her body into that drain pipe, okay. So he re- he returned one month later to burn her, but during that one month, he would return to her body and have sex with it. The number of people that Henry would like confess to would constantly change. As soon as he would say 100, suddenly it would be 150, 180, 200, you know, it would just keep increasing. Then he went to 300. And then at one point he was like, I've killed more than 600 people. According to Henry, he killed, you know, he had a nice portfolio, I guess. He killed a wide um, range of people, different ages, different backgrounds, using a, you know, wide variety too of violent methods, stabbings, strangulations, um, you know, hit and runs. And he said he would often decapitate victims, you know, once they were dead. So given Henry's like constant change of story and the fact that he lied so much, it's sort of like, like, it's hard to know what his real body count was. The same goes for Otis. I mean, there was actually a, a Netflix documentary about the confession killers. And in this documentary, they were trying to find the truth and get like a final number, but it's still unknown to this day. There's no telling like what the truth is. How many of these guys actually killed. And a DA who actually prosecuted Henry stated that he believed that Henry had killed from, you know, like anywhere from 3 people to a dozen people. And this DA said like he doesn't even think Henry knows how many people he really killed. And it's difficult to sort of rely on anything he says, but nonetheless, he definitely was a serial killer. Eventually Henry was convicted of 11 murders, and in 1984 he was sentenced to death for the murder of a woman known just as Orange Socks. And I'm guessing because they didn't have any sort of identifying information about her at the time. But in 2019, this body through DNA was identified as Deborah Jackson. Otis also confessed to a number of crimes that investigators now say that he probably didn't commit. He was ultimately convicted of six murders and then sentenced to life in prison. But in 1996, he actually died of liver failure. And then in 2001, Henry actually died of heart failure in prison. So the both of them died in prison, you know, and they also took the truth with them to the graves. To this day, many people are still still trying to figure out, like, what was their real number? And I think this is done more so to help the victims' families. There's been a number of inquiries into this, but the real number of murders may never be known. I mean, how would we really know unless there was like real DNA evidence, you know, to link To link them all together. And these false confessions by these two idiots like only cause more stress and distress for the victims' families. They went from, you know, thinking, okay, well, these two guys were the ones that killed our loved ones. And, you know, that's like a sense of closure for them. But then to recant it and then to like not really know it kind of like sets them backwards, right? Because now they're like, Okay, well, who did it? And now the question is open again. Hundreds of cases were closed when Henry Um, Confessed, and even when he recanted, they were just never opened again. Family and friends believe they had closure on, you know, crime on for the murders of their loved ones, only for the real killer, in their eyes, to never be brought to justice. The DA says that 70 to 100 crimes are still being credited to Henry, but around 160 to 170 cases were never reinvestigated or reopened, which is an insane amount of cases to just close and never reopen. Like, that's crazy. Imagine if it was one of your family members. The crazy thing is that the real killers of, you know, these victims may still be out there. And that is why these the victims' families, they're trying to get these cases reopened so that they can find who really did it. So I would say, like, you know apart from actually killing people this is one of the worst things that henry and otis have done because for whatever reason they did it for their notoriety or for their own pleasure like they literally have have set this tone and this it's the police's fault too i believe because they're the ones that should be investigating it right but it's like this scar of uncertainty left on the victims families till this day like 30 years later (sighs) So let me tell you, this case is wild and there are some like details I just couldn't even get into because they're so sick because whether Henry is lying or not, or Otis is lying or not, this whole video would end up just be like bleeps because there's so much disgusting shit that he has like admitted to. But on the other hand, clearly Henry and Otis had twisted, messed up childhoods. And how can you say that that doesn't contribute to one's upbringing and one's mental state? Like if your mother was Viola, how would you turn out? I don't know what I think. And I feel just really sick that these two people found each other. Like I always say, how do they find each other? Whether it's one or 600 crimes, like the world is better off without these two people being in it, you know? And hopefully they never had children. So thank you guys for watching. I hope you enjoyed today's video, as sick as these two men are. And if you haven't subscribed us yet, go ahead and please do so. It would mean so much to me. And I will see you in the next one, guys. Besitos. Mwah. Bye.